0: So we're up to 1 Kings chapter 3 as we're going through the Old Testament. 1 Kings chapter 3. As we get into our passage today, we're going to see Solomon start to make some decisions that turn out to be controversial. And I say they're controversial because not everybody agrees on just how to see these decisions, okay? There are some good commentators and some good pastors that have Differing views about what Solomon does here. Some think his decisions are okay, and some have a, a real problem with them. Well, I'll let you know up front that I'm on the side that has a problem with some of the things that he's doing. So, uh, if you have a, uh, if you want to see a different view, you can check out some of the commentaries. There are quite a view, quite a few that take the other side. Uh, I hope you're not mad at me after the message today, but you may be because <laughs> I just. Can't see it any different than than the way I'm seeing it here. And I'll explain to you. You know, I've listened, I've listened to their reasoning, the guys who take the other side, and I understand what they're trying to say. And I I really like some of the guys who hold that other view as well. But when I read this, I just get a bad feeling in my gut about the way Solomon is handling some of the things in his kingdom. And I'll explain to you why I see it that way as we go through. Now, if you don't see it that way, that's okay. I mean, don't, don't get upset about that. Uh, I'm just telling you, this is where I'm coming from, and I'm not trying to taint your view on this, uh, but we'll try to go through and examine some of these things as we go there. Now, to set the stage for this passage, I think it's really important for us to understand what the Lord intended for the kings that he was going to place over his people in the promised land. So to get that, that mindset started, I want us to, you can hold your finger here, but I want us to look back to Deuteronomy 17. And uh, that's that's a good place to, to just refresh our thinking on this. I know it's been a while since we've been in Deuteronomy. So uh, Deuteronomy chapter 17. If you look down to verse, uh, we're going to start at verse 15 there, but the Lord is saying when he, he brings them in the land, this is what what's going to happen. So Deuteronomy. 17 down to verse 14 when you come to the land which the lord your god is giving you and you possess it and dwell in it and say i will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me you shall surely set a king over you whom the lord your god chooses one from among your brethren you shall set his king over you you may not set a foreigner over you who is not your brother but notice what he says here now here's some restrictions the lord puts out But he shall not multiply horses for himself. Well, unfortunately, Solomon ends up doing that. Nor cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. And here's the reason, for the Lord has said to you, you shall not return that way again. So the Lord is is very tough on don't return to Egypt. And we're going to see that in the story today. Verse 17, neither shall he multiply wives for himself. Well, Solomon did that to the exponential degree there. And here's the reason for that. Lest his heart turn away, nor shall he greatly multiply silver and gold for himself. Solomon ends up doing that as well. To me, it's almost like Solomon had this list of what am I not supposed to do? Okay, let's see what all I can do of every one of them on the list. Check this, check this, check this. Also it shall be, when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, that he shall write for himself a copy of this law in a book that would be on a scroll in their time period from, a, from the one before the priest, the Levite. So the, the king is supposed to get the, uh, the scrolls from the priest that have the law in it there, and he's supposed to make his own personal copy. And, you know, as you take the time to write these things down yourself, you're paying attention to what you're writing down so this is not a bad practice if you're thinking i'm having a hard time getting into the word pick a passage pick a book and just start writing it get a notebook and start writing it down just as it is and it will help you on your focus so this is what the lord intended i want the king to be very familiar with my law so he's supposed to write this down it says and he's supposed to keep this with him verse 19 it shall be with him and he shall read it every few years Does it say? Noah says he shall read it all the days of his life. And here's the reason, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God, and from that he may be careful to observe all the words of this law and these statutes, okay? And look what result that will have, that his heart may not be lifted above his brethren, so he doesn't get haughty and think he's better than other people, Solomon starts out humble, okay, but later on, it's kind of questionable. Then it says that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left. And Solomon messes up there too, down the road. And that he may prolong his days in his kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. Well, the kingdom started to crumble in Solomon's hands and it continued to crumble after him. And I believe it's because he did not do this. I don't see any evidence in his life that he actually took the time to sit down, write the word of God for himself, and spend time in that word almost daily to make sure he's on the right path. And man, that's a, that's a strong warning. The Lord tells the kings this, but obviously this is something we need to hear as well. If it's important for a king, it's important for you and me. We're called kings and priests, right? We're supposed to be serving the Lord with that kind of authority, that kind of leadership in helping other people. How can we do that if we're not where we're supposed to be in the word of God? Okay. Now, did you see, we're going to go back to our passage in First Kings 3. Did you see David, when we read that list of problems, did you say, see David having a problem in any of those areas? Let's think that through. Well, in the horses or the silver or gold, we didn't see an issue there. That didn't seem to mean much to David at all. Uh, in going back to Egypt, no, that wasn't a problem either. Uh, did he mess up when it came to having multiple wives? He did. He started that, that problem right there, and that may have opened the door for Solomon to say, well, Dad did it, so I guess it was okay for me to do it. But somehow, David's faith was strong enough to keep him on target with God. We don't see him drifting at all to other, other gods or, or idols or anything like that. So uh, David survived that one. But there was a warning from the Lord, if you go that direction, this is what can happen. Okay, so David, for the most part, if you would grade him on these things, he would get a pretty, uh, pretty decent grade. You know, but Solomon, he messed up in almost every single one of those areas. And when you mess up in keeping God's word, you know, as the priority in your life, then your life is going to be messed up as a result of that. And Solomon's the living, living proof for us to look at to see what happened to this guy, you know? Uh, oh, you may, you may look good from the outside. Solomon had some fancy clothes, and whoo, talk about prosperous. He looked good from the outside, but your spiritual report card, uh, it will not be anything to brag about, and Solomon is the picture of that. Do you know that Solomon is mentioned in the Bible in other places, but he is never mentioned as an example of what you need to do. He's always the example of what not to do. Wow. You know, that tells you what his report card, his spiritually report card, looked like. It wasn't, wasn't good. Like somebody said, when you make bad decisions that go against God's ways, how does that turn out for you? <laughs> you know, that's a tough question for us to consider, right? I, mean, I think we've all been there since we came to Christ. We decided, I can handle this. I know what I'm doing. I don't even need to pray about this one. <laughs> and how did that turn out? <laughs> You know, hopefully it drove us back to our knees and say, Lord, I was wrong. I need you. I need your word. And we come running back to our father who loves us and his arms are open to us. Right. Well, let's jump into our passage. First Kings chapter three, verse one. I think we set the tone in the background here. It's a scary background. Right. First uh, Kings three, verse one. Now, Solomon made a treaty with Pharaoh, king of where? Egypt. And he married Pharaoh's daughter, okay? Then he brought her to the city of David until he had finished building his own house in the house of the Lord in the wall all around Jerusalem. So marrying Pharaoh's daughter here was kind of like signing the dotted line on the treaty with Egypt, okay? That would be a normal way that nations did it back then, and I understand that there's still nations that pull that thing or... Say, practice that way (laughs) in the world today. Well, we kind of have a story similar in that area, I guess, a little bit as the story goes. Our church here was a a church plan and outreach from Calvary Chapel of St. Louis County. And I still joke about the fact that for us to become affiliated with Calvary Chapel, I had to give my oldest son to marry the daughter of Dave Fitzgerald, who's the pastor of Calvary Chapel in St. Louis. And I go on to say that. I guess he can't have any more churches start because he's ran out of kids who aren't married you know they're all married off now but i have a few kids who aren't married yet so if anybody has any bright ideas on how that might happen here you can come talk to me and no i'm just kidding about all that sort of (laughs) yeah well this treaty that solomon made uh, would allow practically speaking it would allow egypt to use the trade routes that ran through israel And people want to do that. The Lord put that at an amazing place over there that these trade routes go through there. So people want access, and this would allow Egypt to do that. And on Israel's side, it would allow Israel to have a peace agreement with Egypt. So that'd be comforting to know that these people who are a powerful, you know, world-ruling group here, uh, they're not going to go to war with us. So that would be a good thing to know. So we can see that there were going to be benefits on both sides of this treaty. But was this the right thing to do spiritually speaking? Okay? We saw what the Lord said in Deuteronomy 17 about not going back to Egypt. And he didn't just say it there, he said it in other places as well. Do not go back to Egypt. Do not go back there. Okay? So the warning was very clear from the Lord. I don't see this as a good decision. Like I said, uh, a lot of good commentators and not disagree me on this, but this is just what I see here from what we, we know in the Scripture. So here's Solomon. He's building relationships with other kingdoms as well as building structures in Jerusalem. You notice here it talks about building his own house, building the house of the Lord, building the wall around Jerusalem. So he's, he's in the building process, okay? But what about building his own life spiritually so he can be a godly leader, you know? And are these things that he's doing, are they best for the nation, or are they just best for his political career? I mean, looking at it from the outside, it kind of makes you wonder, all right? There's some more details we'll get into a little bit here. But when, when we are in leadership and we're serving God's people, we need to remember just that. These are God's people. And they're given into our care, and we need to do what's best for them, okay? And the Lord tells all of us that we should look not only on our own interests, but also on the interest of others. So we all need to do what's best for others. Now, that's challenging. You think about it. As, as sinful people, we usually think about number one right here, always what's best for me. That's one of the changes that takes place in us in Christ. We now have God's love flowing through us, and we care about other people, okay? If that's not there, then we need to check ourselves and say, Lord, uh, something's wrong if I don't have that love flowing through me. Have I got a sin that's standing in the way that's blocking that flow, or what's going on? That love should be there to care for others, and that's not natural. It should be natural for believers, but it's not natural in our, our human nature, ever since the fall. Like I said, we're very sinful. Now, look at the, the spiritual lesson we get from Solomon's dealings with Egypt here. Egypt is a picture of the world in scripture, right? So Solomon, looking at it from that standpoint, he makes a deal with the world, and then he intermarries with them, and then he brings them home. Wow. So I said, I can't read this without it making my skin crawl a little bit. Like, Wow, what are you doing, Solomon? The Lord warned you very clearly, Egypt is a problem spot. I rescued you from that place. Don't go back there. Yeah, so I know politically, government-wise, he thinks he's making a wise decision, and from just that aspect, it looks like, okay, there are benefits from this. But we can't look at things just like that, right? We've got to look at things spiritually. What does God think about this? That's a question we have to ask with every decision in our life. Do we do that 100% of the time? No, I know we don't. We mess up. We, We lose our focus. We get trapped in the things of this world or distracted and we mess up at times. But we can always come back and repent. We can always say, Lord, I made wrong decisions. I did not seek your counsel. I did not follow your word. Bring me back. Give me repentance. Help me to come back. You know, so Solomon here, he makes a deal with the world. He intermarries with him. He brings him home. Does that sound like the right thing to do? I don't think so, okay? And another side note here, this is at least the second wife that Solomon has because he apparently had a wife already when he came to the throne. And we know that before Solomon's done, he's going to end up with 700 wives and 300 concubines, So we can easily see that Solomon is very undisciplined in the area of morality, you know, and that'll lead to his downfall later on in this life. Uh, We're told later on too in 1 Kings that these foreign wives that Solomon married, they did turn his heart after other gods when he was old, you know, Nehemiah is one of the guys who used Solomon as an example of what not to do. And I want you to see this in Nehemiah chapter 13, if you look forward in your Bible a little bit there, Nehemiah chapter 13, or I can read this to you either way. But this is one of the places where we see Solomon mentioned. And uh, it's it's not a good lesson we're going to see here on this one. Uh, Nehemiah ran into some real problems with the people as they were completely disregarding some of the Lord's directions on things like marrying the wrong person. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 13, down to verse 25, uh, Nehemiah says, So I contended with them and cursed them, struck some of them and pulled out their hair and he's a little bit upset with the situation huh? and he made them swear by God saying you shall not give your daughters as wives to their sons talk about the pagans that live around them that were not didn't belong to the Lord nor take their daughters for your sons or yourselves and then he says did not solomon king of israel sin by these things yet among many nations there was no king like him who was beloved of his god and god made him king over all israel Nevertheless, pagan women caused even him to sin. Should we then hear of your doing all this great evil, transgressing against our God by marrying pagan women? How would you like your life to be used as an example of what not to do? Wow, that's painful, you know. And here's another interesting side note. Solomon had them working on the building for his house for 14 years. But he only had them work on building the temple for 11 years. Okay? Does this tell us something about his priorities? You know? It doesn't look good from the outside. Again, trying to be objective and just looking at these things. So Solomon, he was interested in doing a good job politically and economically But he doesn't appear to be as concerned about doing as good in the spiritual realm. You know, making decisions that include what does God think about this. You know, guys, we've seen that in our own country, right? I mean, people that want to do a good job politically, want a good good job economically, but the Lord usually isn't even on the list, right? And we see what happens. Is our society better because of that? No, it's falling apart. It's crumbling before us. But, but think about David. When David was king, he led the people closer to the Lord. And it's true that he was interested in keeping the people safe by using his military power. But even that was under God's direction. You know, and yes, Israel prospered under, under David's rule. So economically, yeah, it was doing good. But that was only because he was seeking the Lord for the nation. And prosperity was not his focus. The Lord was, you know. He knew that the Lord would take care of things if the nation just followed the Lord. Isn't that amazing? Remember at the end of David's life how he quoted that beautiful song where he gave all the credit and all the glory to the Lord for every success he had in his life? Man, that was awesome to see. Well, Solomon, he isn't going to have that testimony at the end of his days because he really didn't make the Lord the number one priority in his life like his father did. That's sad. So a completely surrendered life will be able to give you a great testimony to others. But a life that is only halfway dedicated to the Lord will end up being a bad example for others to avoid, not to follow. Let's go on to verse 2. Meanwhile, so here's Solomon with his thing. Meanwhile, the people, they sacrificed at the high places. Now, here's the reason it says for that. Because there was no house built for the name of the Lord until those days. Solomon hadn't built the temple yet, so that didn't exist. So the people now were sacrificing at the high places. Now, I think it was very dangerous for them to be worshiping at high places. That's where the pagans would worship their false gods. And, you know, by Israel using the same places, I think it opened the door and made it easy to let false worship creep in. You know, I mean, Israel used to do this back in the days of the judges. They used to worship in the high places, and it wasn't God of Israel for the most part. It was all the, the junk gods around them, all the false deities, all the false idols. So, as they're going to this kind of a practice, it just makes me nervous, you know. You think about this, we don't need to get any closer to the world. It's already got a strong pull in us, and it's trying to draw us in its direction all the time, anyway. I don't think we need to take steps there ourselves to get any closer to the world's way of doing things. Now, things were, were kind of confusing at this time in Solomon's reign, and that's understandable when it came to where were the people supposed to worship. If you remember, we, we read this while we were going through this, David had brought the ark back to Jerusalem, right? But the brazen altar where they did the sacrifices, which was part of the tabernacle and the other tabernacle items, they were still at Gibeon. Okay, so we see the excuse here. It says there's no central house of worship for the Lord at this time, so the people are making do, okay? They're saying, okay, we know part of the tabernacle's in in Gibeon, and we know the ark's in Jerusalem, so we'll just come and worship on the high places. It's it's easier, okay? But I think they should have kept all of the tabernacle uh, tabernacle together in one place when David moved the ark to Jerusalem, I think that was a place right there where it started. They started to let the spiritual things slip back at that time. That's that's my opinion. That's what I see on that. And now here you have the people that are in this place of confusion. I can't go to the tabernacle because not everything's there. The ark is the presence of God. Well, I can go here and do sacrifices and giving, but I got to come over here to see God's presence and. That's really not the way the Lord intended it at all. So I think back during David's time, and I know he was busy fighting battles and fighting his own people at times and running from his own people at times. I know he had a ton of stuff on his plate, but I think this was a mistake that he missed here in not keeping everything together. So, excuse me, looking at that, I blame this on the spiritual leadership back then. They're the ones who who actually allowed this to get to the point of being confusing to the people, you know? I mean, can you, can you just hear the people saying, well, I'll just worship on these high places, and as long as I'm worshiping the God of Israel, what's the big deal? Well, I want you to look at something in in Deuteronomy chapter 12. Like I said, there are guys who have different views, and they have different verses to support their views, and I, I would never take them on. They would They make me feel like kindergartners when I I listen to some of their stuff and read some of their commentaries. But Deuteronomy chapter 12 says some things that I think the Lord intended, and we should kind of be careful with stuff here. Deuteronomy 12, when you look at verse 1, these are the statutes and judgments which you shall be careful, notice, to observe in the land which the Lord, God of your fathers, has given you to possess all the days that you live on the earth. You shall utterly destroy all the places where the nations which you shall dispossess serve their gods. And where was that? On the high mountains, on the hills, and under every green tree. So these are the high places. What are they supposed to do? They're supposed to destroy all the junk there. Verse 3, and you shall destroy their altars, break their sacred pillars, burn their wooden images with fire. You shall cut down the carved images of their gods and destroy their names from that place. You can't even let a sliver of it remain. It's too tempting. The enemy can use that if we leave any open doors there. So the Lord is saying destroy all of it, okay? He says you shall not worship the Lord your God with such things. And notice verse 5. But you shall seek the place where the Lord your God chooses. It isn't up to you. It isn't for you to say, oh, I think it's okay if I do it this way. I know there were times even David, you know, he set up an altar and praised the Lord and and sacrificed the Lord. And and that was okay. The Lord gave grace there and he allowed that. But, But man, be careful that you don't say, hey, we got some shrines that the enemies used to use of their pagan gods. And I know it's right up here in the hill. It's okay, we'll just do the right thing right here. Man, the Lord says that's dangerous. He goes on there in verse five and says, "But you shall seek the place where your Lord, your God chooses, chooses out of all your tribes to put His name for His dwelling place, and there you shall go." That's pretty clear, isn't it? <laughs> that, that's what I see. That's why I said, I, I take this as a real warning. So it sure sounds like the Lord wanted them to be extremely careful when it came to worship. You know, I think we need to see the danger here, too, that it's way too easy to let the things of the world slip in if we're not careful. The Lord said, be careful when you go on the land. I just don't see him being so careful in this. It seems a little iffy to me, okay? Now, if you check some of the other commentaries, uh, they're going to say that they think the Lord was okay with them worshiping on the high places at this point, and It's possible that, you know, it's okay, I guess, in their sense, but as long as they worshiped him only, all right? And that's the way they go with that. Uh, But I'm telling you, (laughs) to me, it sure looks like a slippery slope, you know? I mean, Israel had worship in the past at the high places. This was not a brand new thing for them. And we saw that back in Judges, and that was all idol worship, basically. So they aren't worshiping idols here, from everything we can tell. But my fear is they're, they're setting themselves up for that to be a real possibility later on, you know? I could be wrong, but I know that if we try to incorporate some things of the world into our worship of the Lord, then I think we're just asking for trouble down the road. I think we give the wrong example that being worldly isn't really all that bad, you know? So I believe we have to be careful when it comes to worship that we offer to the Lord So at at best it appears that the Lord was just giving them grace at this point. We don't see them outright say shamey, shamey, shamey on there, you know. But I think that's grace. I think they're they're doing it. They're, They're messing up here. And you know He gives us great grace too when we mess up too. And I'm very thankful of that. Not arguing with that at all. But we do see here, I think, that pragmatism and compromise do not produce a solid Christian life. We can say that because we know where Solomon's going. We got the end of the story. We know where the people are going to follow on this stuff and junkies going to get into. So from this we can say, I'm thinking you're starting to take a few steps in the wrong direction right here, okay? Verse 3, Solomon, it says, "Love the Lord. <laughs> okay, that's great. That's awesome. He loved the Lord walking in the statutes of his father David, period. Wouldn't it be awesome if there were a period right there? Wouldn't that be great? would you say, amen, I love it? This is one of those passages where you come to this and you think, oh, if it just stopped right there, it would be so good. But what's the next word you've got? Except, Ow, that stings. So he, he loved the Lord. He was walking in the right direction. Except that he sacrificed and burned incenses at the high places. Now, does it sound like the Lord is good with this? I mean to say the word accept. He could have said, and he even does this, but that's not what it says. It says he was doing good here and doing good here, but here's kind of questionable, you know? So he loves the Lord, and he's following in his daddy's footsteps, Except, Can we say that about our life? I love you, Lord, and I want to do right, except, and you fill in the blank. So looking at these first three verses, we see a lot of iffy things, a lot of compromise, you know. Solomon is starting to take some of the wrong roads that are going to lead to some very rough and very bumpy and even dangerous paths later on. We need to be careful, especially in er our early life when we take some dangerous turns that could lead to major problems and major regrets down the road in our life. You know, if we always do things God's way, we know that we'll always be on the right path. There may be some, maybe some bumps and potholes and problems, but they're designed by the Lord to help us grow. They're not really bad things. The Lord tells us to rejoice in trials, right? But we're for always do things the Lord's way, we know we'll always be on the right path. That's pretty simple math, you know. I know we get bad at math. We were kidding about that earlier, having math problems sometimes, but that's a a real clear one. But some people have said things like this. Well, I love the Lord, but I know that I shouldn't be doing some of the things that I'm doing, you know? And their thinking is that they have these not-so-good things under control, but they don't really, you know? They're being deceived. They're deceiving themselves, and they're going along with that. When you think like that, you end up focusing on yourself only. That's where that leads, you know. You're not saying, oh, Lord, it's all about you, (laughs) you know. You might be reminded once in a while, say, oh, Lord, yeah, haven't talked in a while. Love you, Lord. Man, I love you, (laughs) you know. And we understand in our family relationships, right, that everybody gets busy, got stuff going on, and you know everybody loves you, but sometimes you just don't see him. Well, with the Lord, he's there all the time. Door's always open. You can call him in a heartbeat. You don't have to run someplace. We don't have to run to a tabernacle. We don't have to run to Gibeon and run to Jerusalem to get it all in. You know, we can do, don't have to do that. He's right here with us. He's inside. And we come to Christ. Look at verse 4. Now, the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there. Okay, so here's Solomon. He's actually even called the king here. He went to Gibeon to sacrifice there. Remember, that's where all the stuff was. For that was the great high place. Ugh. Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. (laughs) So here's where we see that the brazen altar was still at Gibeon. That's why Solomon went there to do sacrifices. And it seems that even there they had moved to the high places to do the sacrifices. I see that as another dangerous thing, you know? They seem more concerned about the pagan worldly ways than the Lord's ways. And like I said, I could be wrong. But it sure makes me wonder why the Lord mentions things like the great high place there. That to me just has a bad connotation, you know? Verse 5 goes on. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, ask, what shall I give you? Okay? Now, Solomon, if you notice here, it says that he went to that place, he offered a thousand burnt offerings on that, uh, to the Lord on that altar. Now, awesome that he he wanted to do that, you know, I don't know really what was going through his mind, but it makes me wonder, okay, you went there, you're on this great high place, and you're going to do tons and tons and tons of offerings, you know, that doesn't make up for things, I don't think, that if you're not doing everything exactly the Lord's way, I don't think the Lord would say, it's so great that you're doing that, I don't see that, you know, and again, that's that's me, but, but here's a real surprise, Gibby is there doing these sacrifices, apparently goes to sleep, And he has a dream at night. And what happens in the dream? God speaks to him. And he says, ask, what shall I give you? Okay? Now, I see this as such a real surprise because God shows up to bless Solomon even when Solomon is basically living a life of compromise, in my view. All right? So this is one of those places that shows us that the Lord blesses us despite ourselves. You know, And that God's blessings are not based on our behavior. They're based on God being a very gracious God. And so he's amazing. He loves to bless his children. And I think we should understand that, you know, as parents and as grandparents, right? I mean, I think I've gotten in trouble before for blessing the grandkids when they were misbehaving, you know? But I'm thinking, yeah, but don't you just love them, you know? You just want to hug them, hold them, and ah, you want to bless them, you know? Yeah, so... (laughs) I understand, I think God loves us and he knows we're a mess. He knows at times we're going to do stuff that is shamey on us, but he still loves us and he still wanted to bless Solomon here. And by the way, here, kind of a side note, but God spoke to Solomon in a dream right here, right? And God can still do that today. If it's really from the Lord, whatever he tells you is going to agree 100% with his word. So we've got a good safeguard on that. But the Lord can still do that. He can still talk to us in dreams today. And I just mention that because there's some pretty loud voices that say, he doesn't do that anymore. We got the Bible. We don't need to hear from God. I think the Lord can speak to us any way he wants to. And I'm not saying you trust every dream. Like I said, check everything out with the word of God but, but the Lord can do that. I don't hold the Lord back from doing anything. He, he does what he needs to do, and he knows what we need. Okay? Somebody asked a very profound question in this section here. Why did the Lord offer this tremendous blessing to Solomon? You know? I mean, you have people like Joshua. Whoa, what a man of God. You got Caleb, you've got Samuel, you've got David. But the Lord waited to offer this amazing opportunity to Solomon. Isn't that something? I thought, wow, that's a really good question. I don't know if we have the answer to that. I mean, I'm not sure we're ever told, but I've got my own speculations on this. I think Solomon desperately needed it, you know? I mean, I'm seeing some of the stuff he's doing, some of the stuff he's allowing. And I'm thinking, this guy really needs some help. That's my thinking. So when the Lord offered it to him and he's going to take the, the greatest thing, he's going to take wisdom, great choice by Solomon. I don't take nothing away from him on that. But I think he really needed it. That's just my thoughts. But nevertheless, you know, the lesson we can learn here is this. Don't count anybody out as far as who the Lord is going to choose to bless. You know, he may surprise you. <laughs> it may even be you that he will bless like this, you know, when you least expect it. So don't ever count that out. Uh, verse six, Solomon said, you have shown great mercy to your servant, David, my father, because he walked before you in truth, in righteousness, in an uprightness of heart with you. You have continued this great kindness for him, and you have given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. It's great to hear some of these words from Solomon, man. This is good stuff, okay? It's a great thing what Solomon's doing right here. He's remembering and he's acknowledging God's blessings in the past. That's such a great thing to do because we are so good at forgetting the Lord, you know? Israel did that in the Old Testament so many times. They, they forgot the Lord, and the Lord called them on it. He said, you have forgotten me. I'm the one that rescued you, remember? I drug you out of being sl- in slavery to Egypt there. I drug you to the blessed place, right? I did all these things for And He has to remind him once in a while because they forgot him. So this is great to see what he's doing. He's remembering the past. He's remembering the blessings he saw growing up with his father. the a man. You watched over my dad. You blessed my dad. My dad had a great walk with you. I know that. And I'm I'm thankful for, for what he saw there, you know. He's constantly, the Lord is constantly reminding us about things over and over in the New Testament, too, if you notice. So don't take it as a bad thing when the Lord repeats things. I know some people say, you don't have to repeat that. I got it the first time. We have a good forgetter, and the Lord knows that, okay. So when he repeats things, he's got a real reason for doing that. Well, you know, I hate to stop at this point, our time's gone. We'll dig into this next time we get a chance to get back together. As you can see, I think there are some awesome lessons here in what we see in Solomon's life. The Lord let us see David and see a bunch of snapshots in his portfolio of what his life was like. The good times, the bad times, the times he messed up, times he needed to repent. And he's doing some of that here with Solomon, okay? so So we pay attention, I think, to what he says, here's Solomon, here's what he did, here's what's going to come of it. And here's what he's thinking, too, at this time. Well, We'll stop at a good note here, because what Solomon's doing right here, I think, is amazing and it's awesome. We can learn from that. We need to remember the past. We need to remember God's blessings in our life, in our nation, in our home, our families, okay? So that's a good place to say, uh, we'll pause right there, and we'll, we'll pick it up next time, Lord willing. But let's go, Lord, in prayer. Father, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for how your word speaks to us, Lord, and Father, if I've, if I've taken the wrong direction on some of these, Lord, I, I, I pray that you just clear me up on that. And, and Lord, I just thank you for, for what you do show me and the lessons I can learn even from looking at these things. Lord, I pray that they minister to others as well. Father, your word is so powerful. Lord, we, we are, are in shame when we get away from it. So, Lord, help us have a draw to want to get into your word. Please pull us close to yourself, Lord, We know that you're always there. We're the ones who drift, Lord. So if any of us are here today and we are drifting away, we're starting to take some steps in those wrong areas, please yank us back, Lord. Get us back on the path of righteousness and walking with you. And I thank you, Lord, for all who are here with us today. I thank you for those who may be able to watch on the live stream. And, Lord, we just want to give back all the praise, all the honor, all the glory to you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.